We became entrepreneurs because more than anything, we want freedom. We want to be in control of our own schedule, income, and life. But unfortunately, that isn't always the reality of being a business owner. I'm Gillian Perkins, and I'm on a mission to take back entrepreneurship for what it's supposed to be. In every episode, I'll share with you how to get the most out of every hour you work so that you can work less and earn more. Let's get to it. Hey friends, welcome to Work Less, Earn More. Today, I'm talking to Alyssa Doolin, the head of deliverability and creator growth at ConvertKit. Alyssa is responsible for the delivery of over 2 billion emails per month and ensuring those emails land in subscribers' primary inboxes is her number one goal. Alyssa is also the co-host of the podcast, Deliverability Defined, where she talks about email deliverability in just about every episode. Today, I'm looking forward to talking to Alyssa all about the recent changes to email deliverability and what we need to do to comply and ensure our subscribers keep getting our emails. So Alyssa, welcome to Work Less, Earn More. It is so good to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and chat with you today. Yeah. Well, I've got a lot of questions for you and I know that the listeners do too. This has been something that they have been reaching out to me about a lot lately, asking me if I know what's up with this, asking me what they need to do. And I've got some surface level knowledge, but definitely not my area of expertise. So I'm really excited to have you on this show today. So to start out, could you just kind of give us the lay of the land? Tell us a little bit about how email deliverability is changing. Yeah, such a great question. I think this is probably the biggest change that's happened in email deliverability. I want to say maybe ever, but definitely in recent years. So, and also just in case anyone is listening to this and they are like, what is this deliverability word you keep saying? Basically, deliverability is referring to whether or not your emails are landing in the inbox or the spam folder. So sort of your ability to reach your subscribers' inboxes. And deliverability is changing dramatically really starting here or very soon, Gmail and Yahoo are putting in some new requirements. The timeline is a little fuzzy. They've said generally February is when these requirements are going to be put into place. But the main thing changing, if I put it into like the most simplest terms, I would say historically senders have been able to use an email service provider like ConvertKit, MailChimp. There's so many of them. And you could sort of rely on that email provider's infrastructure to do a lot of the technical backend stuff for you. And you could just send your emails. But now Yahoo and Google Gmail are saying, you need to use your own sender domain for all of these technical things happening in the background, which is requiring senders to do a lot of steps to get set up with this. But then another thing that's changing is whether or not your emails land in the inbox or the spam folder, it now relies a lot more on your own domain reputation. When you used to lean on your email provider's reputation to help you get to the inbox, now it's on you a lot more. And I'm starting to see that play out with senders. So we can definitely get into all that. But the main requirements that have been set by Gmail and Yahoo are that your own sending domain needs to be used for authentication. That's SPF, DCAM, and they also want you to have a DMARC record. I know for a lot of people, those terms are gibberish, and that's okay. But it's essentially, like I said, the back end technical things to make sure 
the email is sent properly. Now senders, individual senders have to use their own domain for that instead of their email provider's domain. I know a lot of people, myself included to some degree, are a little bit stressed out about these changes and about how to comply and just kind of wrapping our heads around the tech and that sort of thing. Like it is a hassle, but I also see it as a little bit of a good thing because previously while you were being lumped in with all the other clients that your email service provider had, and so if there were other people who also had ConvertKit or who also had MailerLite or whatever you were using who were sending a lot of spam emails that could negatively affect your ability to land in the inbox. But now each person, it seems to me like each person, each sender is going to be judged more on their own merit and whether or not people have marked their emails as spam. Is that correct? That's exactly correct. Yes. And I'm sure there are some email providers that have more of those spammy issues. So it might be a relief and a good change. ConvertKit is very strict. We have so many great spam filters in place that the main thing I'm seeing happen, unfortunately, is that There are some senders who had great deliverability when using ConvertKit's domain in the background. And now that they've set up their own domain in the background, they're actually seeing their open rates drop because they didn't realize they had a domain reputation issue because their open rates were awesome when they were using ConvertKit's domain. So that's something we're helping people through. And I can definitely talk about that here today on what to do if that happens to you. How can you manage your own domain reputation and make sure it stays healthy? But you're exactly right that This is now meaning that each sender is really responsible for their own deliverability, whereas it used to be a lot more heavily determined by which email provider you're using. So definitely a little bit of good news, a little bit of bad news sort of thing. But right now, obviously, (laughs) it's mostly just a headache. How do we manage to stay in the inbox? So I know you mentioned that the timeline on this is a little bit fuzzy. February is the general time. Is there anything more you can tell me about the timeline or the deadline for this at all? Yeah. So luckily, Gmail has given us a bit more information here recently. So they've said starting in early February, if someone isn't meeting the requirements that they've laid out, they are going to start deferring a small amount of messages. And what that means is you might send out your email to your entire email list. And you might notice that for some Gmail recipients, the email isn't getting delivered immediately. It's sort of in this holding pattern for maybe a few hours. They haven't been specific on how long they'll defer the messages. And then it eventually gets delivered. And this is Gmail's way of kind of getting your attention and raising a red flag and saying, hey, there's something wrong here. But they don't want to penalize people right out the gate and be really harsh and start bouncing messages. So they are going to have a pretty long period of that. And then they said starting in April, they will start bouncing messages that aren't compliant with these new standards. And I've heard there could be some spam filtering involved too. So we do have some time here where it would be great to get all these requirements met in February as early as possible, but you probably won't see a bunch of emails bouncing or going to spam if you're not set up until April. Okay, good to know. Well, thanks for laying that all out. So my next question for you is about what exactly the changes or the new requirements are. What are we required to do to keep landing in the inboxes? Yeah, there are quite a bit of requirements. Most of them are going to be handled by your ESP, which is your email service provider, which is awesome. So like the ConvertKit, the MailChimp, all that. There's a lot of technical things we have to take into account. But for individual senders, the main thing is that you need to use your domain for SPF and DKIM authentication. You don't need to know what those things mean. 
really the main thing is with your email service provider, like your ConvertKit um, or MailChimp, whatever it may be, we all call them different things. At ConvertKit, it's called a verified sending domain. So that's your number one step. That will cover your authentication and make SPF and DKIM use your domain instead of ConvertKit's. I believe MailChimp calls them authenticated domains or custom domains. There's all sorts of different terms depending on which platform you're using. So if you're unclear about that, make sure to reach out to whichever provider you're using and ask them how to do it. But at ConvertKit, it's called a verified sending domain. That's the main step one. The really good news for ConvertKit customers is that we recently launched a feature that makes it so easy. It's actually crazy how easy it is. You don't even have to leave ConvertKit to set up these DNS records. Um, We partnered with a company called Entry. And right within your ConvertKit account settings, if you just enter your domain, we'll tell you exactly which domain host you're using. You log in right there within ConvertKit to your domain host. And we have a button that's like, add records, boom, validated. So that's a relief, at least. I think a few other email providers are starting that process But otherwise, that'll look like adding some DNS records to your domain. So if that's something you're not familiar with, um, I would make sure to reach out to your domain host or if you have some sort of web developer to help. And then the second requirement for everyone is to set up a DMARC record on your domain. That's another form of authentication. And the goal of all of this is to prevent spammers. So that's what authentication is for. It's to make sure spammers can't send emails from domains that they don't actually have ownership over, which is actually pretty easy to do if people don't have authentication. So everyone needs a DMARC record on their domain, and it needs to be set to a level of at least P equals none. There are three levels of DMARC. That one is the least strict. I know all of this can sound, again, like (laughs) word salad if you don't know what it means. Yeah. So what exactly is DMARC? Like explain this to me like I'm like a five-year-old. What is DMARC at all? Okay. (laughs) I will do my best. DMARC. So whenever you are sending an email or receiving an email, you see the from address right there, you know, in your inbox. It's like, this email is from Gillian. Awesome. I can see your sending address right there. Then there are sending addresses in the background of the message, like I talked about. It could be your email provider's sending domain. It could be another sending domain. What spammers have done for a really long time is they will take an email address they don't own or have access to, but they want to pretend to be someone else. They can really easily, in that really friendly from address that everyone sees in their inbox, they can say, hi, this is Alyssa at AlyssaDoolin.com. And then in the background, they're using their actual spammer email addresses. And I don't see those because those are in the message headers. That's what the machines are using. And without DMARC, that message could totally pass authentication, go to the inbox, and they just spoofed me, which is one way that spammers are really crafty and they send a bunch of terrible emails. So what DMARC does, the whole purpose of DMARC is that in order for a message to land in the inbox, that from domain that everyone sees in their inbox has to match those domains that are being used in the background of the message, in the message headers that humans don't actually see. So it's making sure that spammers basically aren't faking the from address everyone sees and then using their spammy domains in the background. It says, if you don't use that good domain 
in both the background of the message and where everyone can see, then we're not going to accept the message. So DMARC requires those things to be true. And then whenever you set up a DMARC record, you have the policy you choose. It's going to say P equals, and there can be three different levels. None means if my message fails DMARC, meaning maybe the the domains in the background of the message don't match that domain that everyone is seeing, nothing happens. So the message can fail DMARC and go straight to the inbox. That's the um, easiest place to start with DMARC, just so you don't mess anything up. And then you can bump it up to P equals quarantine or P equals reject. And that means if DMARC fails, send the email to the spam folder or bounce it all together. The reason why you want to start with P equals none is let's say you get your convert kit set up. It's passing DMARC. Yay, it looks awesome. But you didn't get your G Suite emails set up properly. If you set your DMARC to be strict right off the bat, then those good G Suite emails could start going to the spam folder or bouncing. So you kind of want to make sure all your ducks are in a row and set your DMARC to P equals none, which is like, it's okay if DMARC fails for a little bit. And then once you're sure that all good emails you are sending pass DMARC, meaning the domains in the background of the message are your domain, then you can go ahead and make your DMARC record more strict. And then you're protecting yourself from spoofing, which is where spammers pretend to be you. Okay. And where do you set up DMARC and where are you adjusting those settings? Is this on the back end of your website or somewhere else? It's all in your DNS records of your domain. And it's a TXT record. If you're a ConvertKit customer, this is another thing that we automatically set for you in that verified sending domain process. So we added the DMARC record to that as well. If you already have a DMARC record, we even check and we won't add a new one if you already have one. But if you don't have a DMARC record, we will add that for you. So this actually is really, we've combined those two steps into one. If you're not a ConvertKit customer, you'll need to go into your domain's DNS records And the DMARC record is a TXT record. And if you need help building out your DMARC record, I would Google DMARC record wizard. And there are amazing tools where you just plug in your information and they will spit out a DMARC record and tell you exactly what it should look like. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you for walking me all the way through that. I think I understand now. And so if you're unfamiliar, you know, Google what Alyssa just said, and then also just to be clear here, this is just, you're going to be setting this wherever you have your domain from. So this might be with your web host. So for example, if you're using SiteGround and you bought your domain from SiteGround, then you might be controlling your DNS settings there. But maybe you bought it from Google domains, which doesn't exist anymore, but Google domains, and you need to go into Google domains and configure these records there. But okay, so that makes sense. What else? That's Really, well, I'll say there's one more really important one, and that is that Gmail has come out and given their requirements for your spam complaint rate levels. So we've always known it's not good to get a bunch of people marking your messages spam. And people like me at email providers, we have our industry numbers that we look at. We know what we think is an acceptable threshold of spam complaints and what's not. But Gmail has actually come out and said, okay, you really have to keep your complaint rate below 0.1%, which one way to think about that is one out of every 1,000 recipient marking your message as spam is sort of like right at the threshold. Once you get more than that, 
then it becomes elevated. And Gmail has said, you will start to see some spam filtering if your spam complaint rates are exceeding 0.1%. So that's been really helpful to have that threshold posted and for them to be really clear about what will happen. One thing I highly recommend everyone do, this isn't part of the requirements, but it's going to help this all go much easier for you, is to set up Google Postmaster tools. And if you're not familiar with what that is, it's a really awesome kind of dashboard that Gmail has available to everyone. You enter your domain. They do have one authentication step. It's pretty easy to follow. I believe it's postmaster.google.com. But once you do that and you have it all set up, you can actually see what your domain reputation is at Gmail, your IP reputation, which might be your email provider's IP reputation. And then you can see your spam complaint rate Um, because Gmail doesn't operate a normal spam complaint feedback loop. For example, you can't see in your email provider if a Gmail user marked your message as spam. They don't share that information the way that other providers do. So this is the only place that you can see what your complaint rate is with Gmail users. And they make it very easy to visualize. So you can monitor and make sure you're not exceeding that 0.1% spam complaint rate. And if you are, then that's a really good sign to take a look at your email list, see what's going on, go through the people who have complained recently. Are you finding any patterns? Yeah, I would say that tool has been extremely helpful. Can you give me a little bit of context on that number, the 0.1%, right? Spam rate. How does that compare to what you typically see with a spam rate? Obviously, like different senders will have drastically different spam rates. But yeah, just can you give me any context on that? Yeah, I think the average complaint rate across all ConvertKit accounts is like 0.02, which I would even need to fact check that, but I know it's very low. So 0.1 is definitely something where, you know, a red flag starts to go up of something isn't quite right here. I've seen some accounts get up as high as 0.5, 0.8. Those (laughs) senders have a big problem once we get to that point. So a few things that I've seen that will cause those high complaint rates is um, list bombing. That is when a spammer submits a bunch of email addresses to your signup forms, your online signup forms, and those people didn't actually sign up to receive your emails. So real humans start receiving your emails that they didn't sign up for. And so as you can imagine, a lot of them mark those emails as spam. So that's a really common problem I see that leads to spam complaints where someone wasn't doing anything maliciously, they didn't know this problem was happening. Well, somebody was doing something maliciously, just not the sender. Right, right, yeah. (laughs) The spammer was. (laughs) Correct, yes. But then some other problems that lead to high complaint rates are obviously things like purchasing lists, sharing lists, scraping email addresses from people's Instagrams or LinkedIn's, things like that. That'll almost always lead to high complaints. But for most people I work with, Obviously, that's not what they're doing. It's more of list bombing or other list health issues where people are somehow getting in that are not a good fit for the audience. So just to be clear, you were speaking correctly when you said that across all ConvertKit senders, you've seen a 0.02 
0.1% spam rate compared to Google's threshold of 0.1. And so the average ConvertKit user is way under, in a good way, way under what it needs to be, like the threshold for spam. Is that accurate? Yes, way under. Okay, well, that's good news, right? (laughs) So most people who are sending out email newsletters and who aren't engaging in any of those bad practices are probably fine. Correct. Okay, that's very encouraging. Good to know. So what about, let's say that you haven't done any of the, you know, you haven't purchased a list, you're not aware that you've had a list bomb happen to you or anything like that, but your spam rate is still a little bit higher than it should be. It's a little bit over that 0.1. What are some things you could do maybe specifically in your emails that could help to reduce your spam rate? Yeah, that's such a great question. One strategy that works really well is in your welcome email. Well, first of all, I guess, make sure you have a welcome email. Um, You know, double opt-in is great. So that's making sure that once someone signs up to your newsletter, your opt-in form, they have to click to confirm their opt-in. That helps with bots and it just helps keep your list much more high quality. So that's one thing. I wouldn't necessarily call that a welcome email because you really want people to click and confirm their opt-in. You don't want to distract them too much. I would keep that email really short and simple. Make sure the subject line says something like action required, click to confirm your subscription. Some people act like they don't mean to mess this up. They'll turn that into a really long welcome email, introduce themselves, and then people don't know that they need to take action. So that's its own thing that I recommend. And then secondly, a welcome email is a really good idea. I would make sure these are spaced out at least a day so that people don't start just receiving a bunch of emails from you. That's another thing that we see lead to high complaints. So space these out at least a day, maybe a couple days. But then in that welcome email even, I really like having an opt-out button um, pretty high up towards the top to say something like, you know, you're introducing yourself and then maybe a paragraph and you say like, oops, you know, didn't mean to sign up to this email list, no hard feelings, click this button to opt-out. We've seen that that actually does catch a good amount of people who they didn't realize what they were signing up for. They signed up to the wrong thing. Surprisingly happens a lot. And that does clear people off your list. I know it could be hard for some people to see a higher unsubscribe rate or to see people leaving the list. But really what you want to do is you want to be honest about who you are, what you're sending, the value you're providing. And if someone's not a good fit, you want to get them off your list as soon as you can so that they don't start to hurt your deliverability. And then another thing is regularly cleaning out the people who aren't engaging with your emails. That's another thing that's gotten a lot easier in ConvertKit lately. You can set up an automation that will wait for however long you decide, maybe it's 90 days after someone has signed up for your list, and then it'll check and see, have they opened an email? And if the answer is no, it will opt them out of your list. So that's one way to have automatic list cleaning just running in the background all the time to make sure that those people don't turn into unengaged subscribers or people who are going to eventually complain about your emails. Yeah, absolutely. That's something I always try to do. We typically do it quarterly. Are you saying that there's a way that we can have it automatically run continuously? Yes, it's a pretty newish feature, but there is a way. I think we have a whole article about it. I think it's automated list cleaning. 
Well, that's really cool. Because yeah, we've been cleaning quarterly because I know that that didn't used to be an option. You had to, even though ConvertKit had the whole automation set up, so it was really like quick and easy to do it, you had to manually trigger it and then you had to manually delete the subscribers. So that would be really cool if we didn't have to do that quarterly. Yeah, it's within the um, visual automations. There's a new sort of event you can choose and it's have they opened in X days, yes or no. And if someone goes in the no path, there's also a new event that says unsubscribe them from the messages. So it'll do all of that automatically for you. Awesome. That's really cool. Okay, I'm going to interrupt myself for just a moment to tell you about another podcast that I have. So recently I recorded a 10-episode podcast. It's a limited podcast series called The 100K Method. In this podcast series, I break down, well, exactly that, The 100K Method, which is my automated sales funnel strategy. So basically, this is the strategy that I use to generate passive income in my business to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars per year. And I want to teach you how to implement this strategy in your business. So I went through, I recorded 10 episodes all about the 100K method, breaking down for you exactly how it works, every step of the process from the webinars that I use to the emails that I send, how to promote your business without using social media, but instead switch to more passive strategies so that you can fuel your 100K funnel with what I call ready to buy leads and how you can implement this whole system into your business. Basically, I'm teaching you my whole system for free in this new limited podcast series. To get access to the 100K method and binge the whole thing, all you need to do is type in the 100K method into whatever podcast app you are listening to this podcast on, or you can just search for my name, Gillian Perkins, and it should pop up. I'm also going to include a link to the 100K method podcast series in the show notes for this episode so that you can easily find it there as well. I hope you really enjoy listening to this new podcast series from me. Make sure that you leave a review. Let me know what you think and share it with anyone else who you think could benefit from a 100k funnel in their business. Okay, now let's get back to today's episode. Okay, I've got a little theory, I guess. Maybe I should say hypothesis about something that could help to reduce unsubscribes in emails. Uh, You can confirm or deny if you think this is true, including images, specifically like a photo of you, if you have a personal brand or a photo of your products, if you don't, your brand's logo, things like that, like visual clues about who you are that the email is coming from. Is that a good practice or does Gmail not like images and emails? No, I think that's a great practice. I think the images and email thing is sort of debunked now. Um, The way that email has progressed, it's totally fine to have images in your emails. You just don't want to have emails that are too heavily I guess, designed to where they get so large that they start to be clipped in Gmail because that will um, clip the open tracking pixel and it'll look like no one's opening your email when they actually are. But yes, I think adding an image of you, I have one in my welcome email and I actually have a picture of my cat too, which he is currently just all over my desk. He's driving me crazy. But And I think that's been a great touch. That's also a great way to get people to reply to the email, which is another thing that boosts your deliverability. I will have people reply and be like, oh, your cat's so cute. I have a cat, you know, this is his name. And that's another thing we haven't talked about yet. But encouraging that people reply to your emails is huge. It's the most positive signal that you can have to boost your sender reputation. 
Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think that the images in the emails, it does two things. One is it helps people recognize you more easily because they might forget your name after, you know, just stumbling across your website, signing up for your email list. But if they see a picture of you, it's more likely that they will recognize you. But the other thing is, even if they don't recognize you, it still gives an indicator that you are a human and helps them to start to like relate to you and like build that relationship with you. And so I think it goes a long way either way. Cause I just know I've gotten emails so many times in my inbox and they very well might've been something that I signed up for, but I did not recognize the name. And I was just like, who's this random person who's emailing me? And sometimes I might've marked it as spam. So that's one reason I always try to include a picture of myself up at the top of my email, like in my email header. Yes, that's so important. I think that is one of the top reasons people mark messages as spam or unsubscribe, even if they did sign up for it, like you said, because they don't recognize the sender name. Maybe they saw your name on your website and that's what they signed up for. And then someone sends it from like a brand name that they're not familiar with or vice versa. And that really confuses people. Another thing I did recently that worked really well was actually even adding a video to the top of my newsletters, kind of talking through the newsletter just for people who would rather watch it than read it. And it was awesome. And I think it just, like you said, it builds that relationship with your subscribers where they actually recognize me as a human and they're not surprised to see my emails. Yeah, I love that. Anything else that are like major components of just getting your email to into the inbox initially and not getting it marked as spam? I think one thing we sort of talked about that I could highlight more is the importance of not sending people too many emails too frequently. That's something we're seeing come up a lot for the people who have lower domain reputations. Once we start looking into the people who did mark as spam to try and figure out why they marked it as spam, we'll be like, oh, these people are receiving two emails a day. Or there was one day where they received three emails in a day. And a lot of times the senders don't even know that's happening. They've set up so many different automations and things running in the background and they're sending, you know, like broadcasts on top of those automated emails. They don't realize how often people are hearing from them. So that's another thing that's important to go in and audit. You can click into some subscribers, make sure that's not going on. And then one thing I like to do is, you know, make sure you have days designated for certain kinds of emails and that they're only sending out on those days. That's a great tip. That's something I would definitely be guilty of myself um, with like setting up. I tend to work kind of messy and I'd have like lots of ideas and I'd probably be setting up lots of different automations and have that problem. If it wasn't for my operations manager, Courtney, who keeps all of our like T's crossed and I's dotted and everything organized. And so that's become a big goal with our, like the funnel strategies that we teach because we rely pretty heavily on different automations, but we really want to avoid having people go through multiple automations at the same time. Because even aside from like potentially annoying people, even just when it comes to like sales strategy, you're potentially distracting people. Like if you're trying to have them flow through a certain message and maybe like teach them something or convince them to buy something. If you are just giving them two different messages at the same time, like that's going to confuse them and you're not going to be telling as like consistent of a message. So I think it's important for a lot of reasons, both for the email deliverability and also just your email marketing strategy from a messaging standpoint as well. However, on the flip side, There's also potentially the problem of sending too few emails, right? Because when we were talking about like getting people to recognize you, if you only email once a month, people are quite likely to forget who you are. So it's really about striking that sweet spot, isn't it? 
Yes, 100%. I'm so glad you brought that up because this is actually even more of a problem with these new requirements. So like I mentioned, historically, you've been able to lean on your email provider's reputation, which has helped people in many cases a lot because, for example, ConvertKit's domain is sending billions of emails a month. There's a lot of reputation happening there. But now that senders have to rely on their own reputation, their own domain, one way to think about it is like a credit score. So if your domain goes a month or more without sending any messages, it sort of wipes your reputation clean, um, which is not a good thing (laughs) because people like Gmail and Yahoo, what they want to see is predictability. They want to have history to go off of to decide, should this email go to the inbox or the spam folder? And if you're not giving them that history and that context, they are going to lean on the side of caution for their users because that's their top priority is keeping Gmail users safe from spam and fish. So if you don't send enough, what is going to happen is you'll probably see more spam filtering because Gmail and Yahoo and all the mailbox providers, they just don't know. They're not sure if your email is wanted or not. But if you're giving them regular sending volume and they can see, oh, people like these messages, people are reacting well, that helps you have a stable high, healthy reputation and reach the inbox of your subscribers. So I'm so glad you brought that up. It's very important. I imagine that some listeners right now might be worrying that they might not be sending exactly the right number of emails, you know, worrying, oh, maybe I'm sending a little bit too much or a little bit too few. But my guess is that it's like a fairly generous range and that it's like you need to send at least a few emails a month and not more than several a week. Is that true? Yeah, I would say so. I think I would not go a month without sending um, in order to keep your reputation up. But as long as you're sending at least once a month to your entire list, and I would say not sending multiple emails a day unless that's part of your strategy and people understand it. Like if for some reason, you know, you have a newsletter that goes out in the morning and the evening and people like that and that's what they signed up for, that's okay. For most senders, that's not a strategy that's going to help them. It's going to hurt them because people are going to get fatigued. Um, So I'd say as long as you're sending between one email a day to one email a month, you're probably fine. And like we talked about before, those guidelines you just gave, that's for like from the tech standpoint, from Google standpoint, but for the sake of keeping yourself familiar with your subscribers and having them continue to know who you are, you probably want to email a little bit more than once a month. I generally recommend about once a week, somewhere between once a week and a few times a week is like, a nice sweet spot. And, you know, maybe a little bit more often than that, if you are like in the middle of a launch or something like that, where there's something active going on in your business. Yes, totally agree. Once a week is a great way, at least once a week to keep people familiar with you. Predictability is great always as a subscriber. And so that way you're staying top of mind for them. So just to kind of summarize what people need to do to stay compliant with these new requirements, it sounded like from what you said earlier, and maybe I'm not going to remember all the words, but the couple technical things, if you are a ConvertKit customer, ConvertKit can guide you through those things and you can actually do those things inside of your ConvertKit account. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. And then separately, we've got like the spam rate and there are some like common good practices you can follow to make sure that you aren't getting many of your emails marked as spam so that you can stay under Gmail's spam threshold of 0.1%. Is that everything we need to do to stay compliant? 
Yes. And with that Gmail complaint rate threshold, again, I just highly recommend setting up Google Postmaster tools to help you monitor that. But yes, those are the top things to keep compliant. There are other requirements like one-click unsubscribe, but that, again, is going to be handled by your email provider, most likely, unless someone is doing a lot of like custom building of their own emails. So that, again, falls on like ConvertKit's plate and something we're already set up with. So there are a lot more requirements. You might see a list somewhere and be like, what? This Alyssa girl only gave me three things to do or two things to do. But a lot of the requirements actually fall onto the email platforms and you don't have to worry about them. So you did a great job of listing what like individual senders need to do. Okay, great. That seems really manageable. As far as those technical things, especially that the sender does need to configure either in their DNS records or in their ConvertKit account, is there an article somewhere that breaks that down and walks through those steps? Yes, there is. We have a whole article about it on ConvertKit's knowledge base. I'm happy to send that over. It's probably a long URL, so um, it's probably not helpful for me to say it here. But if you would like me to send it to you, you can put it in the show notes. But yes, we have an article walking you through all of it. Okay, sounds great. Well, if you can send that over to me, then I'll make sure that gets included in the show notes for this episode so that the listeners can find it really easily. Okay, well, Alyssa, thank you so much. This was super helpful and you just broke it down so well. I know that so many people have reached out to me and said that they were so like stressed and overwhelmed by all of these new requirements, but it sounds like it's actually pretty manageable as long as, you know, your email service provider is helping you out with it and making the process simple. There's not that much that we need to do as senders. So thank you so much for just making this so simple. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I know it's not always the most fun topic, but I know I could talk about it all day and it was fun talking about it with you. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Work Less, Earn More. Now, if you want even more where this came from, then I want to tell you about my brand new podcast series called The 100K Method. So this is just a 10 episode limited podcast series where I break down the entire 100K Method, which is my automated sales funnel strategy that I use for all of the automated sales systems in my business and the sales system that I teach to all my top level clients. So all you need to do to listen to this series and to learn all about the 100K method, how it works and how to install it in your business so you can start earning passive income each and every month is search for the 100K method in your favorite podcast app. Probably the one you have open right now. Again, just search for the 100K method. Or alternatively, just search for my name, Gillian Perkins, in your podcast app, and it should pop up that way too. I'm also going to include a link to it in the show notes for this episode so you can find it easily that way as well. Like I said, the 100K method is just a 10 episode podcast, so you can easily listen to the entire thing. You'll know exactly which episode to start with, episode one, and you can binge listen all the way through to learn everything you need to know about how the 100K method works and how it can enable you to earn a whole lot more passive income in your business. I hope you really enjoy it. And if you do, be sure to leave it a review to help more people find it. All right. Well, that's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back again next week with another one. Until then, stay focused and keep taking action. 